Hello, I'm Nick Hollands with Information Security Media Group. Today, we're going to be talking about quantum computing, quantum cryptography, and the implications for today's cryptographic standards. Uh, today, I'm speaking with Evangelos Reklitis, who is with the European Union Agency for Cybersecurity. Um, recently put out this interesting report on post-quantum cryptography. Um, and a lot of it, frankly, over my head. This is a fascinating topic. So I'm going to pick uh, Evangelos's brains here for uh, a few minutes and, and discuss quantum computing, quantum cryptography, and again, the implications for cybersecurity as it is today. Um, so Evangelos, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, very much Nick, for having us here. Uh, I, as you said, I'm working for ENISA, the EU Cybersecurity Agency. I'm an officer there. And one of the activities I'm involved in is cryptography. And as you just mentioned, we have this report out on post-quantum cryptography, which has gained a lot of uh, nice attention. If I might say. Absolutely. So, so here's a very short question that I don't want to have a very long answer, but if, if you could explain very briefly, what is quantum computing? So quantum computing, like quantum metrology or quantum cryptography, they are all applications of quantum phenomena. So we have this wonderful theory in physics about how the all matter consists out of quantum quantum particles, and this has some practical applications. And quantum computing is expected to be one of these practical applications of these theories. Uh, in a sense, it will help us uh, to speed up a lot of operations. It will not replace classical computing as we know it, but it will offer a, a new window to what we can do with our algorithms. And to be honest, uh, while we don't have a practical computing, one that I can plug in into the socket of my wall and start working in right now, we have known of quantum algorithms, of algorithms that will run in a quantum computing since uh, the, more than 30 years now. So the theory is there, but we're still missing the practical end of it. And this is why the EU has the EU flagship, the EU quantum technologies flagship, that uh, is funding with more than 1 billion euros, uh, hundreds if not thousands of quantum researchers in Europe to actually make all these uh, practical implementations real and that uh, yeah, affect our lives. So it's, it's But of course the correction is not one year or two years. It's more than 10, maybe 15. and some things might never materialize. Mm. But it is, I mean, it, it is, it is seems a case of when, not if at this point. I mean, for the longest time, you know, you, we talked about quantum computing as, as something that was, seemed very science fiction. I always think of like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and it's this huge supercomputer, in, you know, in the form of a planet and it, it spits out the answer 42. And, you know, so it's, it's always, again, I've, I've always thought of it as something that's very academic, but it's, it's clearly, I mean, I'm having quite a few discussions at the moment with organizations that are talking about, um, you know, preparing for this, because clearly it does, it turns the rules of cryptography as we know them upside down. I mean, the, the assumption has always been that um, things like, you know, um, AES or some of the RSA standards are, are somewhat unbreakable given that how, how long they are, um, but, but this upsets that. So I guess, I mean, first of all, I mean, you know, what does seem like a likely timeline? Is it like we're looking, you know, 10 years out, something like that? Um, but more importantly, I guess, what are the ramifications for cryptographic standards of today when this occurs? So it's not easy to make predictions right now. Uh, as I said, we don't even 
as you actually you said, it's not even uh, sure that we will actually have a practical quantum computer at some point in the future. There are a lot of effort right now. We have a lot of uh, news coming from companies like Google and IBM of uh, building more and more uh, strong or quantum computers, but still they are at their infancy. So these have like no ramifications right now for our systems. But this might change, and it might be in 10 years, in 15, or even more. What kind of uh, impact will this have to cryptography, though? This is uh, what we try to do in the report, to see in the report. Uh, and actually, there are a lot of algorithms out there. We have known of algorithms since the 90s that uh, can actually break uh, all our uh, widely used publicly key crypto system. Things like Diffie-Hellman, analytic curves, and RSA, and stuff like that. So, public uh, crypto system is one of the victims of a quantum computer when and if it becomes available. Uh, as far as symmetric systems like AES, uh, this will probably remain as it is. There is an algorithm uh, by Love Grover, again from the 90s, that uh, what it does, it speed ups brute uh, force attacks. So, if somebody is trying to find the key by checking all combinations, right now this is invisible. We don't have enough time or resources in the galaxy to do this, but with a quantum computer, uh, this will be uh, faster. And what the general consensus is here is that uh, we just simply duplicate and uh, uh, use a larger key, maybe doubling the size of the key we use right now, and our symmetric systems will be safe. For the public key systems, though, we will have to find replacements. So once we have a quantum computer, things like uh, elliptic curves and RSA are mostly dead. So that's that's a serious implication for security and privacy as we know it. So I mean, it, it's a bit worse, uh, if I may say so, Nick. Because while we don't have right now a computer, uh, if I was a hacker with a lot of uh, resources and I was able to capture and store all the communication that you are now right now exchanging, that is secured by a public key crypto system. I could use a quantum computer download after 10 or 15 years, once I get one, and start decrypting all the past communication that you have exchanged. So for a lot of organizations, this is uh, actually happening right now. The implications are now, so they will have to act as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, well, I mean, with, with that in mind then, um, what should today's cryptographically reliant organizations be doing? I mean, it's, it seems like, you know, it, as you say, it, it's it, it could or could not happen. But if it does happen, then everything we're doing today is is broken. So, what what should organisations be doing to prepare for that? Um, so, uh, as probably also your viewers know, there are a lot of uh, activities right now that are trying to standardise the next uh, post quantum cryptography standard or are trying to at least to select candidates that will be quantum resistant. What do I mean by that? Uh, we have known since uh, 78, I think, uh, of algorithms, of public key algorithms that are quantum resistant, that we know of no quantum algorithm that could break them. Why we don't use them? Because they're slower, they use longer keys than RSA and Diffie-Hellman. Uh, so they're not as practical, but they're resistant. So uh, right now, NIST in the US is running a selection, a selection procedure and is trying to find out uh, 
which of these candidates would be a suitable uh, future standard for particle cryptography. Uh, this is also a process that a lot of national authorities are doing around the world. Uh, each has their own process or their own guidelines for it. What uh, companies can do right now in organizations is, uh, well, they have to assess the risk. They have to see if this is a valid risk, if they can tolerate this uh, impact. Because as we said, it might happen in uh, 15 or 15 years. Uh, if they think that they can tolerate this, they should just wait to see how this process will evolve, what standards will be selected, and once we have the standards in place, then transition along with the rest of the world to these new quantum assistance standards. But if, on the other hand, an organization thinks that uh, it cannot wait, because this is a process that might take uh, two or four or five years or maybe more, then there are a couple of uh, in-between solutions of um, yeah, uh, to help the police transition. And we are discussing this in the report. Uh, one would be to implement side by side a post quantum cryptographic uh, algorithm with a classical, with a modern one, one we use right now. So you could use, you could pick one of the candidates in the NIST process and uh, use it side by side with your elliptic curve system you use right now. This has the, the nice property that uh, if ever we have a quantum computer, your PUC. Uh, system will protect you. If the uh, candidate you choose uh, gets broken down the road in one or two years, electric curves will still give you the protection you need. But of course, this has a lot of, um, you know, it's not an easy process. It will need a lot of implementation. Uh, there are a lot of standardization bodies around the world, even Europe, looking at these implementation issues and trying to get standards out as fast as possible. Uh, there are also other solutions. Uh, one is called um, uh, it's trying to annoy, if you may, a quantum hacker. So in, right now, uh, it's a bit complicated, but let's see it like that. Uh, right now, if I was a hacker and I had captured all your communication with your bank in the last 10 days, uh, you have been using the same session key, let's say. So I need to break the algorithm once, get the key, and then I can read all your communication for the last, uh, I don't know, 10 days or 10 years or whatever. But if in each session I talk to the bank, I change my keys and I generate the keys in a way that's a, a bit random and has new material inside, then the attacker down the road will need to break the system every time to get the new key. So this would, uh, would, would annoy his uh, cryptanalysis effort and make everything hard for him. So there are some solutions, there are not easy solutions, they have some shortcomings, but uh, yeah, they're out, they're there, and we are looking at them. Hmm. I mean, ultimately, then it's well, as with almost everything in cybersecurity, it's, it's about the risk tolerance of an organisation. So, mm -hmm. I guess the issue here really is again, where does this sit in your level of risk tolerance when there's so many other current things that may be more pressing? Um, it's it's obviously hard to get budget for a hypothetical scenario, but it's still, I mean, it. it when it, if and or when it occurs, it, it is a seismic event for cybersecurity as we know it. Yes, uh, even even the thought of uh, migrating to a new system uh, will take a lot of resources, money, and time. Uh, it will be a hard process, but uh, in general, for the whole world, I think the risk overweights the, this uh, effort. Yeah. So at some point we'll have to move forward. Right. 
Well, clearly, if NIST is taking it seriously, then it's something that organizations should be taking seriously as well. Yes, and uh, national forests around the world have been taking these services for the last uh, seven or years or even more. Yeah. So these are not processes that uh, just last one or two years. The selection process is already more than five years. I think. Mm. Okay, wonderful. Well, Evangelos, thank you so much for your time today. This has been very educational. Uh, that's Evangelos Reclitis with Anissa. And for Information Security Media Group, I'm Nick Holland. Thank you very much.